It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. It's a Sunday. We're coming off a great sports weekend, and who wants to talk Padre baseball? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, John Riley, based in our San Diego studios, and this is a special Padres podcast (laughs) as we come off the baseball playoff series with the Dodgers and head directly to the showdown series with the Philadelphia Phillies. John Have your ears stopped ringing after what we saw? Petco Park, 45,000 each game. Victories, victories, victories. And now we're four games away from the Padres going to the World Series. I mean, I was watching it from home, but I felt like I was there. The electricity, the energy. um, It just was such a breakout moment, not just for the Padres, but for the city of San Diego. Um, Just huge. And uh, what a great, what what a great series now to look forward to. Uh, I will say this because I canvassed with some other longtime Padre fans, and you're one of them, so I'll ask you to respond to, <laughs> was what the Padres just accomplished as emotional a high as this team has ever had compared to maybe when they beat the Cubs and got to go to their first World Series or when the Tony Gwynn-Kevin Brown team beat the competition to get to go play the Yankees in the fall classic. How does the emotion in our baseball community match now compared to those other two high moments? You know, that's a great question. Um, Cause on one level, obviously the 84 team, you know, they broke through the first time in the playoffs, got to the world series. 98 was special as well. And granted, you know, those two teams got to the world series. We're just getting into the NLCS. The difference is, is that we don't have the Chargers here. We have all of our emotions are in this one major sports franchise, and it means everything to us. And meanwhile, you know, the big brother up north has just been such a dominant player that we finally knocked them off. Because um, it seems like the, the the separation of the Dodgers and Padres has been, that gap has been much wider in, in recent years. Well said. A couple of statistical notes here before we get into specific topics on the tables on our special Padres podcast going towards the National League Championship Series. Who could have thought the Padres, John, at one point who were a half game out of first base and finished 22 games behind, <laughs> who could have thought would still be playing baseball heading to the third week of October? I mean, no one would have thought it. And and not only are, are the Padres playing in, in, in the third round of the playoffs, but they have home field advantage in the National League Championship Series. Not in a million years did I think they would get past the New York Mets and the L.A. Dodgers. You did make the comment, well, if they beat the Mets, that's a 100-win team. Mm-hmm. Get the chance to move on, maybe beat the next team that had 100 wins. That was Atlanta, but Philadelphia knocked Atlanta out. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, the Padres have accomplished an awful lot. Interesting statistics. The bullpen in the series against the Dodgers, 16 innings, one run allowed. The composite batting average of the Dodgers against the Padre bullpen was 114. And the composite statistic, runners in scoring position, the Dodgers had five hits in 32 at-bats with guys on second and third base. I would have never, ever believed that was possible. It was was amazing. And and you got to give credit 
to the Padre pitching staff, Robert Suarez. Oh my gosh. And, and, and Luis Garcia, every one of those guys was clutch. And yeah, the, the Dodger hitters couldn't, couldn't pull through, but let's credit the Padre pitching staff. I mean, there's an amazing statistic at one point, the Dodgers went 20 straight at bats without a hit with runners at second and third or second or just third base alone. Mm-hmm. 20 at-bats in a row. And this is a Dodger team that we talked about last week on our podcast that had their metrics ranked really high in every virtual baseball category there was. Mm-hmm. Stunning what the arms on the mound did to the Dodger bats yes, in the batter's did. box. It was amazing. So, I mean, give credit where credit's due. I mean, and, and, and the Padre bullpen was great against L.A., and they were great against the Mets. Let's move on and talk about the names, because there's a lot of unsung heroes in all this. Let's talk about the important guy in the organization, and that's the owner, Peter Seidler. The way he has operated this franchise has validated what has to be done if you're going to be a major league player. Now, I think I maintain this, because the Padres historically, in the 33 years I've been here based in San Diego doing sports talk radio, TV anchor work, and play-by-play, the Padres always viewed themselves as small market. That man pushed all of his chips to the center of the table. He wants this to be his lasting legacy. And Peter Seidler's a two-time cancer survivor. He wants this to be his legacy that he spent. The key word is invested. He has invested in a $229 million payroll, fifth highest in Major League Baseball. He's invested in the community, put a good product on the field, and the end result, they are now over the 3 million mark in attendance, regular season and postseason, and they got more games to play starting Tuesday, Wednesday against the Philadelphia Phillies. The man, the man is just a genius, and he has a very different corporate philosophy of how to operate this team compared to past ownership that wasted money, penny-pinched on money, didn't accomplish it nor get it done. I'd say Seidler is as important a person in the history of Padre Baseball as John Moores and Larry Lachino were when they saved the franchise and then they got Petco Park built and then obviously Ray Kroc way back in the day when he stepped in to buy the franchise to prevent it from going to Washington, D.C. But history should write glowing statements about that guy, Peter Seidler. I mean, yeah, what a great guy. I mean, just a great man that's so likable, that connects with the fans. He's not some aloof owner that you only see in the skybox. He's down on the field signing autographs. But yeah, if you look at the history, I mean, Tom Warner, that regime, uh, they had the big fire sale and got rid of McGriff and Sheffield and everyone else. And then the Jeff Morad era where they were uh, bought the team on layaway and penny pinching then. This is such a blessing for the San Diego community to have Peter Seidler. I mean, you go, Pete. I love the guy. And he's invested this massive payroll in what was a small market and a good product on the field. And he's drawn $3 million. The amount of money that they are generating with $3 million in attendance on top of their media accounts and their fees and, and rights fees and all that, just absolutely phenomenal. Next guy in the equation, the general manager, A.J. Preller. They call him Rockstar GM. He won a lot of winter baseball meetings. He won a lot of trade deadlines, and they didn't win anything up until this year. Uh, now, I've been crit- critiqued him. Uh, I'm not in favor of the spending spree and the amount of currency that he has burned through over seven-plus years as general manager. The amount of money he paid to sign 
international free agents. He's overpaid on everybody, how he overpaid on draft picks, then how he turned around and traded all those players to get all these veterans here in San Diego. But that being said, he's got a unique philosophy. It's called boots on the ground, scouts everywhere. Mm -hmm. And because of their ability to cite, see, and then sign Look at the makeup of that roster. And I'm not talking about the Juan Soto trade. I'm not talking about the Josh Hader acquisition. The Padres would not be there where they are now getting ready to play the Phillies were it not for boots on the ground, scouts everywhere. Here comes Robert Suarez from Japan. Here comes Nick Martinez from Japan. Here comes a host of other players that he brought in the front door because he had scouts everywhere lining players up. And then because he has scouts on the road looking at all these other major league teams, you get Jake Cronenworth and, and you get all these pitchers that they've brought in on short-term contracts that they've rented. So he's done a phenomenal job just because he's a scout. That's all he is. He has no private life. That's all he does. <laughs> You're right. He's talk to people and go see players and talk to agents and get his people to get people signed. Uh, it's a very eclectic, very different way. Like I said, a different way of doing business. Your thoughts? I'm Yeah, you can go back and look in the rearview mirror and criticize a lot of the trades, a lot of the contracts. But it, it, I just liked the fact that he was making a big effort. He was taking risks because we had nothing to lose as San Diego Padres. And then, then you look at all of the talent that he amassed. And for years, the Padres had the number one farm system. They had all these bullets ready to fire. And he was able to parlay those into some great players. And then the crazy thing is, is now you go into the playoffs and look at these other teams that have other Padre prospects that are there helping lead them on. I mean, like the Cleveland Guardians have a number of key Padre guys that were on that team. The same was true of Seattle. So you got to give credit to the guy, even though he is eclectic, he, he gambled and right now he's winning. His name is Bob Melvin. He's the manager. And I recall the first podcast that we ever did a couple of months ago. You asked me a question what I thought. And I said, my philosophy about Bo Mel, as they call him in the clubhouse, was that there'd be nothing that would happen in that dugout on the field or in that clubhouse this year that he had not seen before. That's right. And I think I think the inspirious factor of Bob Melvin is huge. There's nothing that was going to shock him. Even the Tatis suspension, even injuries to the pitching staff and the relievers, uh, slumps. He kept these guys on a straight line as to what to do. And the 162-game schedule, it's just a brutal grind. And he was able to survive what negativity there was as they fell out of the pennant race for first place. And he got them refocused late in the season. And I think he only jumped on them one time publicly during the course of the campaign. That was after a rotten series in Arizona against the Diamondbacks. Uh, he's an intellect. I think he preaches focus. And I think he demands a team camaraderie. And now this team is having great success. And if you look at the electricity on the field when guys get big hits or what happened right after the game, it just it shows how he has brought this whole thing together. He's a unique guy. And think about this, John. He won from the hell that was Oakland A's last place baseball with no fans mm -hmm. to a team that is four wins away from going to the World Series in one baseball season. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's just a really incredible guy. But I mean, think about this. And we, we, you're talking about Seidler and Preller and now Bowmel. 
every one of these guys is, like you say, they're intellects. They, they, and they're innovators. They're approaching the game very differently than a lot of the old school baseball guys. It's almost like Preller in his own way is like Billy Bean. Well, you know, Billy Bean had the money ball thing. He kind of figure out another way to win. Preller combined with the resources of Seidler and the intellect of Melvin, they have found a new way and they're breaking the mold. All right, let's talk about players. And I think the two most influential players are two of the pitchers. And I think we have learned to appreciate the greatness of you, Darvish, and what Joe Musgrove has become. You, uh, Darvish, is a warrior at the front of the rotation. This guy is dynamic. He's diverse. He's an older pitcher who has fought through some injuries, but has become a complete pitcher because he's got so much stuff that he can use in his repertoire. And he's pitched in postseason, and this year he's gotten rid of the ghosts of past postseason failures. Joe Musgrove, hometown hero, I think has become a scientist. I think he is now a complete pitcher intellectually, in addition to having the 96, 97 mile an hour fastball and and the stuff that moves at the plate. I just think he has learned the science of how to pitch, and he's a hometown guy. Outside of Tony Gwynn, I don't think there's been anybody else from San Diego who has had an impact on this franchise the way Java Joe has. And and think about what he's accomplished. First no-hitter in Padre history, mm-hmm. must-win start and win City Field, New York. And then, by the way, 100-pitch effort, Dodgers, good night now. Those two guys have made a huge difference. Yeah, I mean, they're incredible. Um, and and to your point, he, he's a scientist. I mean, how many guys have, have come through this organization like Andrew Kashner that can throw it a million miles an hour but don't have the intellect and know how to make it work? I mean, these guys are approaching the game similar to Greg Maddox, some of these other intelligent baseball guys that know how to manipulate uh, players, know the strike zone, and and they're they're like chess players. They're, they're three or four steps ahead of where that player is and they just psych him out. The superstar, maybe MVP, talking Manny, Manny Machado. He came here with really a tainted reputation. He had been in Baltimore where he had done great individual things on a lousy Orioles team. He went to Dodger Stadium. We thought that's where he would wind up with the extent of his career. And he didn't play real well, didn't play real hard, and then he popped off that I don't need to give 100% every time. (laughs) They booed him out of Los Angeles. He wound up here on a payday. I don't know that he came here because he loved San Diego. At that point, there was no track record of success. He came here because they gave him $30 million a year. However, I think he's changed. I think he's flipped. I think he's been influenced by some of the pressures. I think right now this is a superstar who is a complete ball player, always had the glove, has always hit well with some power. But I think from a baseball intensity standpoint, I just think Manny Machado is a really different guy. And I've got friends and beat writers who cover the Orioles, and and they told me, you're not going to like this guy. This, this guy is his own world. He doesn't care about anything else. And I saw that the first two years that he was here, and it really bothered me for the amount of money that he was making. I think he's flipped. I think he's grown into a hell of a man and a hell of a leader and obviously an MVP-type player. I also think the arrival, and I told you this a week ago, I think the arrival of Fernando Tatis and all that glory put pressure on him to make him a better ball player, make him a complete ball player. And now he's become the emotional flag carrier of the franchise. And he didn't have a lot of offensive help most of the season. They pitched around him. He got really badly hurt. I thought he had dislocated his ankle and he was out only 10 days. 
two weeks, came back, boom, pushed the batting average back to 300s, hit a bunch of home runs, and he plays third base like we have not seen anybody play third base here since Ken Caminiti. Yeah, I mean, it's just a tremendous talent that we always knew that. But he has matured. He is a man. Um, and he looks like he's genuinely happy. He's happy in on the field. He's happy with his teammates. And he's happy with San Diego. So, I, you know, granted, he's got a 10-year deal. There's an opt-out coming in in a year. But I have confidence that they're going to work something out and he's going to stay here long term because everywhere else, he's the villain. Everywhere else, they boo him. But here in San Diego, we love him and he loves us. I will also say this uh, about Machado. I can't recall very many players outside of Gwyn that would love coming to the ballpark every day and playing hard. Mm. Uh, and, I mean, you, you look at the games the games he has played. He's hardly missed any games at all aside from the ankle injury. He's on the field nonstop in pressure our situation. So this guy has arrived, I think, as the complete package, and I think Manny has to be considered for the MVP. All right, we're talking Padre baseball, what they did to the Dodgers. The dragon has been slayed. 111 wins means nothing now. And the fallout emotionally in Los Angeles for that legendary historic franchise has to be staggering. Those people coming to work on Monday with their season now officially over, my goodness. I mean, there must be a terrible emptiness in their heart. And it's, it's happened again. And I, I think this is the shocker as it relates to the Dodgers. You win all those games during the regular season. That's spectacular, especially the first time you do it. But then you get to postseason and you don't do well. Wow. And that's happened six times in a seven-year window. They won the World Series one time, John, in seven seasons, and that was in the truncated 2020 pandemic year. Mm-hmm. All the other times they've played, it ended badly against the Cubs, and it ended badly against Houston, it ended badly against Atlanta, it ended badly against the Washington Nationals amongst the teams that they lost to. The, the not in the pit of their stomach must be horrible right now because the dragon got slayed. Yeah, I mean, to a, a great degree, there's a there's a certain arrogance around the Los Angeles Dodgers, some of their leadership, and they think they're invincible. And and suddenly you get a, a team that's hot at the right time, like the Padres, and boom, you know, the giant is knocked down, the dragon's been slayed. It's a great thing, and this is what makes sports so wonderful. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what transpires in the offseason. I mean, the the Guggenheim group that owns the Dodgers, that bought this franchise out of bankruptcy from the corrupt leadership of uh, Frank McCourt, they've spent enormous amounts of money. Uh, They have the highest payroll in baseball, highest attendance in baseball. Uh, They've not walked down the street fearful of paying the luxury tax, even with all of its penalties that are locked on. But they got some tough calls to make now. Cody Bellinger's a lost soul on the outfield. He's had three straight lousy seasons, and that's an $18 million a year player. Justin Turner's had a really nice career as a self-made man, but he hit 167 at the end. He looked like an old man at the end of the season. And they're going to have to make a decision on, on Trey Turner. Does he get mega contract? He's a really good player. But what happens with him? And they got the Clayton Kershaw decision. What what does Kershaw decide going forward? Is there anything more for him to accomplish? And then obviously they've, they've got health issues. Can Dustin May come back and be the guy he was before he got hurt because he was vibrant? 
Ryan Pepio is a hot young pitcher, AAA out of Oklahoma City. Is he ready to take the next step forward? What happens to the mishmash of personalities in the bullpen? So this is going to be a hard offseason, I think, for the Dodgers as to what they do with veteran guys who either leave, retire, or won't be offered deals. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, Bellinger is is a lost case. I, I How do you go from being an MVP to hitting under 200? I mean, unbelievable. And 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 they're starting Trace Thompson, you know, in the outfield. And, you know, Trace, nice guy, you know, uh, but he was a triple-A player, maybe a 4A player. The Padres cut him. And here he started most of the games in the NLDS. So, that yeah, the Dodgers have some big questions they've got to answer. Questions that need to be answered by the manager in the dugout. And I think we all have great regard for that guy, Dave Roberts, for what he's accomplished as a player and how what he's accomplished as a manager. But at the end of the day, he is haunted by all the mistakes he has made with his pitching staff in postseason play. And I'm going to run through a litany of things oh, here. Here we go. Now, we've got a Dodger organization that deals in the metrics. They deal in all this advanced research. They got all these smart guys in the world in their think tank offices. And I am sure during all their meetings, this is what we should do in this situation, that situation, et cetera. And Dave Roberts' pitching moves have been catastrophic in postseason play. When you have that payroll with that much talent and you only win one ring in a seven-year window and you've got all these things that have ended badly because of your decisions, I will throw names at you. The mishandling and the overuse of ex-Padre closer Brandon Morrow. Two years in a row. He's mm. now out of baseball. Arm problems. He was overused. I thought he was abused by the decision to keep sending him back out onto the mound. Uh, you add into that the, the equation with some of the other pitchers that they've had. Uh, taking Julio Urias out of the rotation. Having him pitch out of the pen in between starts that wore him out. They did the same thing with Max Scherzer, who's got great heart, mm -hmm. but he was physically done, and they pushed him back out to the mound to buy an inning or two, and it, it blew up in their face. Same thing with Curtin Ker Clinton Kershaw. He probably volunteered. I'll do it, but I don't think it was the right move to make. Uh, and then they did the same thing with Joe Kelly, a setup reliever, who be kind of became a closer, and they used him so much that he was done. And he's hardly pitched at all, and he left. So all those decisions fall at the front desk of that manager with all the metrics they have and sabermatics and all that. Pretty hard to believe. I don't know if I'm the only one that's been critical, but I think they've mishandled their pitching staff so much. That's why there's just one ring in seven Octobers and why they're home watching this next round of the playoffs like you and me on TV. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and. And even last night, I mean, I, I think you could have made an argument that he could have left Tyler Anderson longer. He was he was retiring the Padre hitters. And then you get Cronenworth up. Um, and I think this is, uh, yeah, I mean, you could have walked Cronenworth and pitched to Myers. But instead, he pitches to Cronenworth or Cronenworth burns him. So you kind of question a lot of what Dave Roberts is doing. But at the same time, he, he guaranteed that the Dodgers were going to win a World Series this year. And that goes back to the arrogance. I mean, we all love Dave Robert because of his connection here in San Diego, going to school in Vista. But yeah, you've got to say that his tenure with the Dodgers has been a disappointment. On we go to Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Two home games, Padres, Philadelphia Phillies. Of all the guys still playing, I guess I'm kind of surprised that that team is still alive in the playoffs. But it's, a, it's much like the Padres, John got hot, got healthy, 
at the right time. This is a team that fired its manager midway through the season, and they they yanked Joe Girardi out of there. I don't know that it was Girardi's fault. All of his starting pitchers were hurt. A bunch of the everyday hitters just did not catch fire. Here comes Robbie Thompson, career coach. Used to be with the Giants. Is it the same Robbie Thompson? Baseball lifer. Right on. 41-26 and in Philadelphia. After he replaced Joe Girardi, they were Mm sub-500. And now they're playing Tuesday, Wednesday here at Petco Park. And I I think from Philadelphia's perspective, if you look in depth at the roster, Philadelphia, it's either feast or famine. They got a lot of big bats. They've hit 205 home runs in the course of the regular season. First time in a while, they got most of their bats healthy. They play in a bandbox in Philadelphia. So that gives them a bit of an advantage because they do crash balls over the wall. I think the other thing, and maybe lost in the equation because their offense is led by the personality that is Bryce Harper and JT Riomuto, who came from Miami in a trade, and obviously the signing of Nick Castellanos, who had been in Detroit and been in Cincinnati and has gone there and hit well, and the importation of the guy who hit 46 home runs while he was batting 213 and Kyle Schwarber. Aside from the personalities that they've stockpiled, and what's a very dangerous lineup, is the pitching staff has gotten healthy. And that's that, to me, is huge. Aaron Nola has had a really strong mm-hmm. second half, and he's an innings horse. He is to Philadelphia that Musgrove is to the Padre pitching staff in terms of give me the ball and get the hell out of the way. A really unique guy. And they've, they've got a couple of other pitchers. You talked about Padre guys other places, Zach Eflin. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia. Now, he's had some health issues this year. He was a frontline starter for them last year. He's an ex-Padre. Zach Wheeler, who came from the New York Mets, if they had not dealt him away a year ago, maybe the Mets are still playing because Wheeler has now evolved into a really good frontline starting pitching. And they've got they've got six guys in the bullpen. I don't know that they necessarily have a, a closer per se, uh, but they've got some people that can hurt you. Corey Kniebel, ex-Milwaukee, ex-Dodger. He leads mm-hmm. them in saves. Brad Hand, ex-Padre, went to Cleveland, now to Philadelphia. Pretty reliable as a setup guy, that left-handed pitcher against my left-handed batter. And they've got a couple of young arms that just come out of the bullpen and just throw gas and throw heat. So Philadelphia, to me, is hitting on all cylinders, much like the Padres are hitting on all cylinders. And I think think, though, that they are feast or famine. If you can keep the ball in the yard, then maybe they're a little bit of a different team. You're going to probably give up home runs in Philadelphia because that yard is a bandbox. So uh, I'm fascinated by the series, but it's the Padre hitters against Philadelphia's big bats. Uh, it's the Padre pitchers against that whole laundry list of personalities that I mentioned. And it'll be interesting to see what the Padres do when they're at the plate against what have become a pretty good collection of starting pitchers. So that's my spin on the guys from the city of brotherly love. What's your thought on the Quakers? <laughs> I'm I the Quakers. I'm uh. I'm intrigued to see the Blake Snell Bryce Harper matchup because you know that ended in the injury for Harper, um, and boy, Harper was so angry when that happened, um, and Snell was apologetic. I'm hoping that Snell is still a bulldog and goes after him, you know, and is not intimidated by Bryce Harper, especially as we go into the playoffs. But yeah, I mean, they they got a lot of bats on that on that team. Castellanos, I think, didn't have that great of a year, but he seems like he's turning it on in, in the. Um, 
in the postseason. The Padres' advantage is definitely the bullpen. I think that's going to work well for them. The hitting on paper, probably not as good as Philly, but they've been getting the timely hits. So this is going to be a great series. And get this, we this is a crazy story. We got tickets um, to the go to the game, game two, thinking, oh, Padres will probably never make the NLCS. And and it turns out that game two is, is an afternoon game. So they're playing Tuesday night game one, but then Wednesday afternoon, like 1.30. So that's going to be kind of interesting. And where we're going to be sitting? Box seats? Yeah. $1,000 box seats? <laughs> I hope so. I mean, we'll see what where these tickets land. I don't know. My daughter got them, and you know, when she was able to put some money down on some of these. But we'll probably be in the nosebleeds, but you just want to be there. And boy, I wish I was there last night. That would have been a ton of fun. Bottom line. Have your ears stopped ringing? I've had so many people, and I've, I've been on a couple of national sports talk shows about what's gone on. So many people say, what's this like? And I said, it's just like when the, I was the voice of the Chargers and we went to the playoffs, and Qualcomm Stadium was an insane asylum. It was so noisy. <laughs> and it, it was just absolute bedlam. And, I mean, they are our team in town, and they have done very, very well. And I... I'm surprised they're still playing, but I'm really pleased that they've come together at the right time. Yeah. I mean, it's just what what a great ride it's been so far. And you know what? They're either going to lose in the NLCS, win the NLCS, and get to the World Series, or maybe win the whole enchilada. And wouldn't that be something for San Diego? Well, I think, you know, what's gone on across the street in the American League is really strange. But I think as we sit here now going towards first pitch on Tuesday, you would agree with me the Houston Astros are probably the best team that's left in the playoffs. And to me, it's absolutely amazing that Houston has accomplished this with the turnover of veteran players who left from the, the World Series team of cheats. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, and, and the fact that George Springer left, Carlos Correa left, most of their pitching was traded or left. Mm-hmm. And now you look at the Houston lineup and you say, holy cow, Kyle Tucker's hitting home runs all over the place. And, mm-hmm. and Houston's got these infielders that are hitting the ball and, and Bregman is a tremendous talent gets no national pub at all and they seem to have a pile of young arms their farm system has developed a huge wave of guys to replace the guys who left i i think houston's the best team in baseball that's still playing as we move to the middle of october yeah and and we still don't know what's going to happen on the other side of the bracket between the yankees and the guardians but this is again october is the best time of the year for sports i'm just really fired up and it's great that we have a team a local team that's in it so we we can be on the bandwagon and, and enjoying the ride. Okay, we wrap this up. A special Padres podcast, P-A-D-C-A-S-T. A couple of reminders. We're normally here every Thursday. We'll be posting another uh, podcast on Thursday as part of our regular schedule. We invite you to email, text, and tweet all your friends. Introduce them to our podcast at Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. It's on Facebook, it's on YouTube, it's on Instagram, and it's on all the audio platforms too. Also, if you like sports, I'll guarantee you this. If you read my website every day, you will be the smartest person in San Diego, aside from me, who writes it. It's LeeHacksawHamilton.com. We do baseball. We do NFL football, college football, basketball, hockey, English Premier League, soccer, auto racing. You name it, we cover it. John, fabulous special show. 
Look forward to chatting with you Thursday, and we'll see where our seats are for the uh, Tuesday-Wednesday <laughs> yeah. game, Padres yeah. versus Philadelphia Phillies. All right, Lee, look, looking forward to it. Had, had a great sports weekend. Hope you enjoy our podcast. We'll talk to you towards the end of the week. As always, thanks for being with us. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.